Well, good morning, Emmanuel. How are we doing this morning? We doing okay? It's 9.15, so I'm going to require you to clap right now to prove that you're awake. Hey, well, my name is Matt, and uh, I'm here to tell you that uh, I'm absolutely honored to step in for Danny today uh, as he takes a weekend away. But uh, I will tell you that uh, you should be a little bit excited. Uh, last night I had a gentleman come down front and talk a little bit about something I mentioned in the talk, and this is the last thing that he said to me. He said, you know, that was a lot better than I expected. <laughs> I know that from some of you there's a collective sigh when, uh, when our leader and senior pastor isn't on the stage, but here, here's what I'm going to tell you today. I got something pumped that I want to share with you. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, you get to see a little bit of me and what I'm all about, uh, but I promise you that you'll walk away with something challenging for this week. But hey, it's Memorial Day weekend. And uh, unlike what some of us may think, uh, it is not the weekend of the year in which we celebrate uh, Lord Weber, uh, Lord of the Grills, okay? Uh, that's not what we do this weekend. Uh, very seriously, though, uh, this Memorial Day weekend, we set aside time as Americans to, to recognize and honor those that have paid the ultimate sacrifice in service to our country. So if you don't mind, before we get started today, can we just, can we just go to the Lord in prayer very quickly? Lord, we thank you. Lord, we just take time on a weekend like this, to thank you for the spirit of sacrifice uh, that you place in those that serve for our country. Lord, whether the families are here in this room or at any of our other campuses today, uh, or even that may listen on the podcast later, I just ask that, that you cover those families in peace that may have lost a loved one. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the ability to stand in a country in which the gospel can be preached. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so this weekend is the first weekend of a brand new series called Go First. It's the first time we've ever launched a series specifically tailored on the, on the subject of leadership. Many weekends when you join us at Emmanuel, we talk about things that you can plug into your own life, and in particular as a way for that you can be a better example for Christ for those around you. But this week and this series is a little bit different, because we're going to challenge you to look at uh, ways in which we can become better leaders of those around us, rallying other people together, in particular to get something done maybe that we can't do on our own. And you know, I'm more than honored to have Pastor Charles here with us this weekend, uh, because everything I'm going to talk about today is something that he lives out every single day of his life doing the ministry that he does. So I'm ex extremely happy to have you here, uh, and I know that you could preach two times the talk uh, that I'm going to talk to talk about today. Uh, but hey, uh, the leader and the story from the Bible that we're going to talk about today is important. And we're going to look at biblical leaders over the course of this series. <clears throat> but if you're not a believer today, so maybe you're a guest that has accepted an invitation uh, and you're not a believer, I just want to let you know that this series is going to be good for you too. But yes, we're going to look at biblical leaders, but the principles that we're going to draw from them and their experiences are valuable across the leadership spectrum. Because one thing is true, all of us have leadership challenges in front of us in this life, in one way or the other. So I hope, I hope that you'll have value today, and I hope that you have value in this series. The first thing that we do before we jump into the story today, the first thing that we do is in your notes this week, it's just a simple fill-in. So all of you, I want you to take out your notes today, and in this, uh, in this slot here, I just wanna, want you to write down, take a couple seconds and write down a leader in this world that you admire. So someone that you admire that you would consider to be a leader. You know, I, for me, I, I could put uh, a lot of names in here, I think. I think there's a lot of good names for good leadership that I could put in there. There are probably some not-so-good names that I could choose from when I think about the leaders in my life. Uh, some of you may not know that I spent the last 10 years before uh, coming to ministry here in politics. A majority of those 
as a lobbyist. So if I had any respect from you when you walked in the doors this morning, I might have evaporated a little bit of that with that last statement here. It's an honorable profession, okay, trust me. Uh, no, but here's the deal. In my experience in government, allowed me to see leadership in action. It really did. Uh, I got to see good examples and bad examples. And so if I'm going to point to something uh, that's, that, that is valuable, it's going to be the spirit of sacrifice and the spirit of service, obviously. You know, my experience in politics uh, was to see that up close. I got to see the leaders that maybe you see on TV yelling, yelling at each other. I got to see a lot of them up close and get to know them personally. You know, I was able to share stages with the governor and stand 30 feet from the president of the United States, work with senators and representatives and lieutenant governors on issues that actually affect your lives every day, but you may not know about it. Incredible experience. And from that, I could pick one leader that I would stick here. I would put Peggy Welch is her name. Peggy is a state representative that I served for uh, when I first got in, engaged in government and was working for government. Uh, I, was able, I was to serve a state representative, and she showed me incredible things. Not only that you can, uh, that you can lead with honor, uh, that you can sacrifice, uh, but also you can do all of that in a way that honors God. An incredible leader that I would throw in that blank any day of the week. But my experience tells me one thing in ministry and in politics, influence matters. Influence matters. So today, you might be in this room, and when we talk about the, the issue of leadership, you might think, oh, I'm not a leader. Come on. There's no way that I'm, that I'm a leader. I'm, I'm, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. You're a leader. Oh, I'm just the, the lowest end of the totem pole in my office when I go to work every day. You are a leader. You're a leader because you have influence. The next fill in your notes says this. You are a leader because you have influence. And today we're going to talk about that idea of influence and how we can begin to lead others. You know, John Maxwell uh, said it best. He said, leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less. Now, I know some of you are thinking right now, okay, great, thanks, Matt. Another uh, business guru, leadership guy uh, telling me what it is that I, sh that I should know about leadership and how to apply that. Well, how do I apply that to my spiritual life? Well, you're in luck because Jesus said something really close to this. In Matthew chapter 5, I want to, want to uh, show you what Jesus said about the issue of influence. He said, let me tell you why you are here. And he's talking to those of us who believe in him. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. And I want to stick with this half of Matthew chapter 5 verse 13 for just a minute. Because I appreciate the message version of the Bible gives us kind of a, a description of what Jesus is talking about. You know, salt was something that was used in different ways in the ancient world. But I like that we're focused on seasoning. Now see, the word seasoning in my house is not just salt. Salt is boring in my house. I married a Cajun woman. So our salt shaker rarely gets used. We prefer slap your mama. Uh, and some of you might be shaking your head. This is a real thing, guys, okay? Uh, Slappy Mama is a Cajun seasoning. It's the perfect balance of heat and salt, okay? Uh, so, but here's what I love about this section of the verse, because it talks about what we should be doing. We are supposed to be seasoning this world with God, the flavor of God in this world. This is influence. And the second thing I want to point you to here is what Jesus says. He says, you're here to be salt seasoning. You are are here. This is not a choice that Jesus gives us about influence. He says, hey, you're here. You're salt. The second half of this verse is important because it tells us that the option that's truly in front of us. 
He says, if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Useless. Slap your mama without flavor is sand. Useless. Garbage. You might as well just throw it on the ground and walk on it. And that's what Jesus is telling us here about the idea of influence. So as we jump into this series, we've got a definition of leadership for you that we're going to carry through all four weeks. And it's this. Leadership is simply using your influence to rally others to achieve something that you can't do alone. And I've already told you the difference in this series is this last part. So we're going to look at stories from the Bible and leaders in particular that saw something they couldn't do on their own and got it done anyway. But to be a leader and to understand that we're going to jump into Nehemiah today, a story from the Old Testament. Nehemiah, this story is incredible. There are a thousand things. We could be here for hours if you just left it up to me, but they won't let me do that. So uh, we're going to look at just a few things in this, uh, this particular story. But we have to understand where Nehemiah starts. And the next fill in your notes is important. Because anyone that chooses to be a leader has to say this simple statement. I will start where I am and I will go first. Going first simply meaning that no one has been doing that or going there before. No one has done what it is that's on my heart to do. So it's important to see where Nehemiah started. And in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 11, he tells us that. He says, in those days I was the king's cupbearer. Now, the phrase cupbearer, the job of a cupbearer in the kingdom, I, I will be honest with you, uh, I'm not a Bible scholar by day, uh, I do my own share of reading, don't get me wrong, but I always had translated the idea of a cupbearer as a, uh, a disposable human being, a servant of the king who would just taste the cup and taste uh, the food to make sure that, hey, if it was poisoned, that guy died and not the king. That's not all, I had always translated it before, but as I dug in a little bit, as the team we worked to build this talk, I understood it was, very, it was much more than that. The idea of a cupbearer was a position of trust, of high trust, of high influence. Someone that shared the days with the king. So this is Nehemiah's position. Now I want to be clear with you, let's not get confused about the fact that Nehemiah had a title or a position with the requirement of any of us to have a position or title in this world to lead. You know, I was listening to a podcast recently, and this idea of influence and leadership uh, right in line with where we see Nehemiah, uh, just hit me. Jim Porto, a pastor, he said this. He said, you don't lead by your title, you lead by your influence. How many people do you know in your life, a simple raise of hands maybe, how many of you could pick out a leader that has a title but a terrible influence? I could point to a lot of those in this world. Hey, I worked in politics. I could point to a lot of those in this world. But this idea, this idea that we lead with influence is where we're going to dig into, all right? And Nehemiah did this. Nehemiah showed us how to do this. And there are three vital things that we're going to take from his story today. The first one is in your notes. Number one, leadership begins with a burden. Leadership begins with a burden. A burden or a fire in our hearts. I want to set the stage for you for just a second. The first part of the story of Nehemiah not only it tells us where he is, but the, the very first few verses tell us that Nehemiah's brother and a couple of his bros, they come to see Nehemiah uh, at the service of King Artaxerxes. You can write that name down, take it home with you. Uh, but as uh, Nehemiah is serving the king, his brother comes to town, 
And uh, just like you would, just like you and I would if we hadn't seen a family member in a very long time, I'm sure there were uh, awkward man hugs and secret handshakes, and, but probably the same questions you and I would ask. Hey, how's the family? How's the family back home? Hey, you and I, we're from the city of God, right? Tell me, what, what, what's Jerusalem up to these days? How's it going? And immediately, Nehemiah gets bad news. Immediately, his brother says, I wish I had better to report. But the walls of our great city are crumbling. This, the, the gates, the gates that protect the city of God, have been burned to the ground. And we start to understand in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, where he gets his burden, where Nehemiah's fire in his soul begins. Here's what he says. He says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. And I want to I focus on Nehemiah's response pretty quickly. Because, you know, we almost decided to put another fill-in in the notes this week in this idea of when we start to understand what our burden is, or maybe a fire that's in our own soul. Because some of us, as we start to understand that burden, we need to do something extremely important. We need to take a chill pill. We, we need to s- slow our roll. And for some of you, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because here, hey guys, here's what's true. We see things that are burdens in this world. We see things that are wrong in this world. And many of us, we see that, and regardless of whether we can get accomplished or not, we charge forward, right? We charge forward, and maybe we end up down a road God had never intended for us to be on, uh, on in the first place. Maybe we fight a battle that God never intended us to fight. We grab our pitchfork and our torch when we should have just stayed home. So the idea of understanding a burden in this world, and all of us as leaders have got to understand the things in the world that get to us. As we do that, slow your roll. Because we see that Nehemiah did that. He says, I mourned, I fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. One of the last things Nehemiah says in his prayer, as he's praying to God, is, Lord, open the heart of the king to me. Did you know it took four months for that to happen? But he started with a prayer. Oswald Chambers, in his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, said this about prayer, and it's probably something that sounds familiar to you. He says, we tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else that we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. Does that sound familiar to the way we live our lives? Because I know it does for me a lot of the time. That sometimes we seek out God's input after we've already decided what we're going to do. But just like Nehemiah did, we've got to slow our roll, guys. We've got to take God first in this way. So Nehemiah starts to understand how his burden would be in sync with God. And I told you, it took four months for God, Nehemiah, and his burden to meet at the perfect opportunity where he could use his influence. And we see that in Nehemiah chapter 2. After, excuse me, after the king notices that his buddy, Nehemiah, has been sad or down for days, he says, Nehemiah, what, what's your deal? What's going on here? And this is how Nehemiah responds. He says, but I replied, long live the king. He's still in service to the king. But how can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. 
Nehemiah takes an opportunity to use his influence. And it leads us directly to number two in your notes this week. Leaders take it personally. Leaders take it personally. Now, what does taking it personally mean? Well, here is what I can tell you. It probably doesn't mean in Nehemiah's day. Actually, especially doesn't mean in Nehemiah's day. But here's what it doesn't mean in today's world. Cupbearer 394, obviously that's Nehemiah's Twitter handle. Okay, let's not confuse that. (laughs) Check out my GoFundMe page and let's hashtag rebuild the wall. Now, if you notice here, he's got 52 favorites and 26 retweets. So that's a two to one ratio. That's not too bad uh, for those of you that follow Twitter. Uh, This is not what it means to take it personally. It doesn't mean simply asking for some money and creating a hashtag. And some of our millennials today, some of us who pretend to be millennials during the week, (laughs) some of us get this wrong, guys. We think that we can just start a hashtag or we can just uh, make an outcry publicly on social media and somehow we're, we're getting something done. Nehemiah did not respond this way. But I'll show you how he did respond. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 5, this is what he says. He says, send me to Judah. Send me home in response to the king. Because the king says, Nehemiah, wow, okay, you've served me for a long time. What is it that I can do to you? He says, send me. Send me home to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. He takes the opportunity that took four months to come to fruition with the king. And his answer to the king is to send me. Send me. You want to know what's crazy? The king agrees. He agrees to give up his servant to go home. Nehemiah heads home, not just on his own, because the Nehemiah that I know is the greatest lobbyist of all time, which is why this story is absolutely my jam, okay? (laughs) Because the king sends him with materials straight from the king's forest. He sends him home with protection in the form of soldiers to make sure he was safe along the way. He gives Nehemiah a new title so that he's respected along the way. Everything that Nehemiah needs to get the job done, the king agrees and sends it with him. So he goes home, and he starts doing the hard work. In the middle of the night, telling no one what his ideas were when he got to Jerusalem, he goes out with just a donkey, and he goes out and he inspects the walls all the way around the city in the middle of the night. And he says, okay, okay, that gate there, okay, I know who lives next to there, okay, I can, we're going to need that much timber for that gate. Okay, uh, the wall section between the dung gate, there was one of those called that, the dung gate and this gate, okay, we're going to need this much stone to, to uh, make this happen right here. So he gathers his ideas together, gets his plans together, and the next day, you know what he does? Not only is the greatest lobbyist of all time, he has to be the greatest politician of all time. Because the next day, he wakes up, you know what he does, he starts his campaign for governor. He marches to the top steps of the temple, right? He stands behind a podium, just like modern politicians do. And I can imagine it right now. I can imagine the, the campaign slogans. I can imagine the little poster that's right in front of him on his podium as he's beginning to chant down and call all of them losers for not fixing the problem before. I'm sure his visual, the visual in his campaign made it look, it, it might have looked something, something like this. I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> and I can hear the chants right now, right? I'm with knee. I'm with Nee. Now, I've probably offended about 33% of you right now. Uh, so why don't we just keep on going? Is that okay with you? It's probably, it might, look, it probably wasn't, it wasn't like this. Now, now, maybe his campaign had some younger folks involved. Maybe they were a little funkier with their word choice. 
Uh, and who knows, maybe Nehemiah's hair was a little crazier. So maybe the visual looked a little bit more like this. Feel the knee. <laughs> Feel the knee. I, I, I can hear the chants, right, from the, the 19-year-olds in the crowd. Feel the knee. I can just, I can hear it. Uh, but no, seriously, uh, you know there is absolutely no way you can do a story about a man and a wall without possibly the greatest Jerusalem slogan of all time. You know what it is. Make Jerusalem great again. <laughs> now that I've offended 100% of you in the room today, <laughs> welcome to a talk with Matt. Here's where the comparisons stop. Because that's not at all what Nehemiah did. He didn't stand behind a podium. He didn't point down at all the elders and the priests and the people living along the walls of Jerusalem. He didn't point down and call them losers and tell them how terrible they were, how they hadn't done the job before. And only me, Nehemiah, can get it done. That's not what he did. He rallies his people together. He rallies them together and he says something like the greatest Braveheart speech of all time. Now, if you haven't seen the movie Braveheart, I'll tell you, it's careful on young eyes, but it's great because there's a great speech there. He rallies his people together and he says, Chad, hey, look, I don't have to tell you what the wall looks like in front of your house. It's been destroyed for years, but I can tell you if you help me, we'll get it done. Bill, Bill, hey, look, I know what the gate looks like right down the street from your house, but I can tell you with some of the timber that I brought along, if you help me do this, we can get it done. He gets the people together and makes them understand that, hey, we can do this if all of us just do a share of it together. He gathered goldsmiths and silversmiths. He gathered uh, a guy and his five daughters. He gathered all the people of Jerusalem to get this done. And we actually see the response of the people, which I love. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18, this is how they respond. They replied at once, and say it with me, yes, let's rebuild the wall. Hashtag rebuild the wall. They respond and rally around Nehemiah. And here's what's awesome. They began the good work. And they would be threatened from every enemy around Jerusalem. Nehemiah would have to bring down some serious social justice before it was all over. And I hope that you'll go home this week and with your small group, I hope you'll dig in to this part of the story because it's amazing. We could do a whole talk just on that. Everything that could go wrong didn't. Hear me there. Everything that could go wrong didn't go wrong because Nehemiah stuck to his burden, made sure that he was in sync with God, and took it personally. And maybe this, this visual of rebuilding walls uh, doesn't do it for you. I was listening to a leadership podcast this week by a pastor in Georgia. His name's Andy Stanley. Maybe you've heard of him. And Andy said something this week about influence and leadership that just breaks it all down for you. So I just want to show you, and we'll walk through it. He said, if all else fails, channel, channel your inner middle school girl in pursuit of an iPhone. <laughs> Some of you are laughing because you've raised one of those. Some of you have uh, you've, uh, heard about them, or maybe you've read the legends of middle school girls. Uh, but here's the deal. This middle school girl in pursuit of an iPhone, is she not resourceful? Is she not dedicated? Will she not go to mom? No. Then to dad? No. Then to grandma saying something like, hey, Christmas is only eight months away, grandma. Help me out here. <laughs> that girl will get it done. Exactly what Nehemiah did. He didn't stop until the job was done. Leads us right to number three today. 
Number three in your notes is leaders always act with love. Leaders always act in and with love. Now, I need your permission, church, because I think we need to have a moment. Because, you know, this idea here, this idea about acting with love is something we probably shouldn't have to talk about in church. It should be assumed, especially for all of us that count ourselves as believers. It's probably something that, uh, that should just be assumed of us, right? Last week you heard Pastor Danny say something like, people matter to God. That idea, that idea of people mattering, we shouldn't have to say that in church, but some of us sometimes miss the whole idea of leadership. We miss the entire idea of what it's behind. Let me ask you a couple questions. Are people hungry for leadership in this world? Are people hungry for love in this world? Do you know some people hungry for love? Do you know what we do sometimes, whether in our hearts or even in our actions? Rather than being the salt seasoning, rather than being the slap your mama that this world needs, some of us carry around a bottle of skunk juice instead. We see burdens in this world, and we just pour skunk juice on it. We stand up, we point out the wrongs in people's lives. We point out the things that make them different than us. Some of us even try to use the Bible as a weapon in people's lives. You know, I read a story recently, I saw a video actually, of a woman with her eight kids in tow walk into a Target store with her Bible in her hand and start berating the employees of that store and the customers that were there saying, you don't know who God is, you don't know what love looks like, all because of a bathroom policy that she disagreed with. If this is your idea, if this is our idea of leadership, I'm, I'm just going to tell you one thing. We're doing it wrong. If that's our idea of what it looks like to lead in this world, we're doing it wrong. Because let me tell you why. Do people see God when they see that? No, they see hate. They see judgment. And worst of all, they see hypocrisy. Give me one person in this room who's never sinned before. Come right on down and I'll walk off this stage. We have got to act with love in this world. So if you're going to take a, a hashtag from today... You're going to take anything home. Maybe it's hashtag don't be skunk juice, okay? <laughs> All of you are thinking about what a skunk smells like when they're angry. We've got to act with love. The Apostle Paul said something about love that's incredibly important. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, many of us have heard 13, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. We've all heard those. If you've been to a wedding in the last thousand years, you've heard 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and onward about love being patient, kind, uh, keeping no record of wrongs. You've heard those before. I think it was probably at my own wedding nine years ago this last week. But right before that, Paul says something in verse 3 that I want to get to today. He says this, if I have given everything I have to the poor, make me broke. Even if I've sacrificed my body, some versions of the Bible say to the flames. Literally, if I burn myself at the stake, I could boast about it. Is it something noble to do in pursuit of a cause? Sure. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. 
Paul says, I could do anything in this world. I could solve a problem. I could meet a need. I could meet any need that God puts in front of me. If I don't do it with love in mind, it's useless. So never forget number three. And if the world, if the, if, if the idea of love from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 doesn't sit as hard with you, at least 50, 51% of us need to hear the next quote. Pastor Marion around here gave me a book the last couple weeks. There's an idea about love that I have to share. Pastor James McDonald says this about love. We have got to take back love from the Hallmark cards and the Lifetime Network. No offense, ladies. Love should not be hijacked by the romantics. Love is selfless. Love is you before me thinking. Nehemiah knew this. It wasn't a superficial show of leadership. Nehemiah went home to his people, rallied them together, and did his best to love them and honor God. In Nehemiah's prayer to God before his whole story started, he said very simply, Lord, listen to my prayer and those like me who want to honor you. And he went home and he did that. Spoiler alert, we give you the end of the story in your notes. Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem rebuilt two and a half miles of walls, on average seven feet thick or better, in 52 days. So this week, this week, we're charging your small group leaders to dig into this idea of your burden first to get started on your path of leadership. Because your burden is going to be important. And remember that the definition that we use this week, I'll give it to you again. Leadership is simply using your influence to rally other people together to get something done or achieve something you can't do on your own. So we're going to ask you this week, what is your burden? You know, for some of you, the idea of today, the fact that literally one out of every 1,000 Americans is going to be in Speedway, Indiana today. Some of you better take a helicopter if you're planning on getting there. Uh, but here's the deal. You've heard the stories and all of the greatness about the Indianapolis 500, the 100th running, but maybe some of you saw a news story this week about sex trafficking being at its worst during sporting events like this size. Maybe some of you have a single mom living down the street, and you've got that crotchety neighbor who's always complaining about the weeds in that lady's yard. But what if you got together in your small group this week and said, you know, guys, let's get together. Hey, you guys, the Johnsons, why don't you, you, bring your, uh, you bring your weed eater and your hedge clippers and I'll bring my lawnmower and we'll, we'll, just, we'll go over there and we'll take care of a need for her. But obviously she's busy working two jobs and raising her kids that she can't do on her own. And what might take me six, seven hours, we could get done pretty quickly. Whatever your burden is this week, I'll just tell you what our burden is. Our burden is you. Our burden around here is something we call the relentless pursuit. We call it relentless because we know something to be true. That without the love, the forgiveness, the sacrifice of Jesus, the promise of eternal life that comes for those of us who make that decision, without that, everything is useless. So we relentlessly pursue people around here. We do our best to break down walls that if it's your first time here or second time here, and hopefully you want that milkshake this week. But if you're joining us to, here today, we just want you to know that you're welcome. Because every week we try to take time to understand that you may be here 
and feel uncomfortable right now. God may be working in your heart in a way that's just making you feel weird inside. And I can say that because I was there. I felt that feeling before. And let me just tell you from experience, don't doubt that that's God. So I don't care how long that you've been around here. If you have yet to make a first decision, if you have yet to go first in your life for Jesus, I just want to offer you that opportunity today. We talked about a big story today. We talked about the idea of leadership, which is a big idea, and we're going to take four weeks to break it down. When it comes to leading in a way that God wants us to lead in this world, it all starts with that simple decision to follow him. So if that's you today and you haven't made that decision, I'm just, I'm going to lead a prayer here in just a second. And I'm just going to tell you the words are not magical. There's no magic formula about how you pray to God. What's required is an open heart. So I'll say the words and you're welcome to follow along after me. And you're welcome also to speak to God in a way that only you can. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the ability to just to just come to you openly with no barriers in front of us. Lord, I thank you for making me uncomfortable. I thank you for continuing to knock on the door of my heart. And Lord, today, for the first time, I open that heart to you. Lord, I know that you paid my penalty. I know that you paid my wages for me, for the sin that I have uh, committed in this world, not only against you, but against other people in my life. And I just ask you for one time to come and forgive me. Forgive me of those sins and wash me clean so that I can begin a new journey with you. Lord, walk with me on this journey because I know that I cannot make it on my own. Lord, thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. Lord, come into my life today. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. If you just made that decision for the first time today, for the first time that you've opened your heart to Jesus, first of all, I just want to say welcome. Welcome to the family that we call this whole Jesus thing. And I encourage you to continue to pour into this church, to continue to come back. But there are two things that I want to make sure that you know today. The first thing is this, is that we believe so strongly that looking into God's word is the best way to get started on your journey, that we're going to give you a one-year New Testament for free. It's a simple version of the Bible that breaks down in today's language, five, six-minute readings every single day that you can do in the morning, you can do at night before you go to bed, to pour in to see what God has to say about your life, to see what Jesus has to say about you. And you see that in the Bible, you see that in the scriptures. So I just, I want to encourage you, if, if you've made that decision today, we have folks in the back corners of our auditorium that I hope that you'll step up and see today. I hope that you'll be brave to go back there and tell them, yes, I accepted Jesus for the first time today and get a Bible in your hands. The second thing that I want to make sure that you're aware of is that whether you've accepted Christ today or in previous weeks before this, or maybe if you're coming back to church after a long time away, that if you've got tough questions about this faith, the ideas that are what we call Jesus, not we as Emmanuel, but what the Bible says about who Jesus is and what he's all about. If you've got tough questions, and even if you've been around a long time, I encourage you to step back to those tables today because we have a four-week environment that we call Starting Point that's specifically designed 
that way. It's a safe environment where you can ask the questions that you've been holding on to that you're not so sure about. And you can sign up for the next time we're going to offer that class, which is going to be in July. I think it starts July 8th. We hope that you'll continue to dig in with us. If you've been around here a while and Jesus is your thing already, keep coming back this summer. We're going to need you here because we're going to challenge you on the ideas of leadership in these four weeks so that you can be a better leader for those around you and get the stuff done in your life that you know you can't do on your own. I appreciate every opportunity that I had to be part of this church. I'm honored to stand here in place of Dana today. So why don't we celebrate what God's going to do in prayer, and then we'll get out of here. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity today. Again, I thank you for a land in which is free. I thank you for the ability to share what it is that you would have us see in our lives. Lord, I thank you for, uh, for being the slap your mama that we can apply to the lives of the people around us this week. I just ask that you uh, build in us, shape the fire inside of us that is our burden this week so that we can have the impact you want us to have in this world. Lord, we love you for our church and we love you for you being who you are. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Bring five friends next week.